with Dooner on this Friday. Hello, everybody. I'm Dooner. By the way, we might have some new viewers today. Uh, there's a fringe side of conspiracy Twitter who took a real interest in what happens on uh, Freight X and the ongoings of freight media and the involvement of truckers and brokers. And um, it's we'll, we'll get into it. It's going to be an unhinged episode. It's going <laughs> to we're going to get to a lot. Actually, we'll start off a little unhinged. There's a uh, there's a trend going on right now. Are you all familiar with the slushy trend? It's sweeping the nation on TikTok. Right here, we got Big Rig Barbie here. According to random TikTokers, by the way, this all started because teens were kicked off Facebook Marketplace. But I'm not entirely sure if that's where it began. But nevertheless, it's taken off. There's a lot of debate amongst TikTokers trying to explain where this came from. Do you watch here for you audio listeners? Big Rick Barbie, she goes into uh, Quickie Mart or whatever. She gets a slushie. She walks out. She throws it at another truck. Now, I want you to notice something here. There's obviously a cameraman following her. So I'm going to say this video is probably staged, right? She's definitely staged. Like most TikTok pranks, you out there realize the professionals all staged this stuff. That guy in the car was probably driving a Lexus. He was probably the passenger. He probably took off. But don't copy it. Don't think that she's showing up a stranger and look at this lady right here this is the crunchy she took a slushy she chucked it at her horse now she's riding it backwards like they're friends i hope he bucks her up throwing it at your horse now they're they're encouraging animal abuse through this slushy trade and now watch this it's gotten so big you've got like an entire detention class of utes coming out here going over to the 7-eleven taking over the walmart parking lot they walk inside the store every single one of them a slushy every single one a hoodie too Get that Michigan jersey, too. You think he's a clout chaser, the Michigan hoodie guy? Or you think uh, you think he's always been a fan? Maybe he's going there for college. And now they're just going to throw the slushies at each other. You guys into this? You like this trend? A lot of you have had something to say. Mike said, I don't get it. I'm sure I need it explained to me. If I was a dude pumping gas, I'd think I'd file assault charges. He's referencing uh, the Big Rig Barbie. Car- Capri Diem says, sadly, I know someone who would do something like this stupid S. No, not me. My question is, it was premeditated because the camera person knew what she'd do filmed. Yes, 100%. I think most of these, almost all of these are premeditated. That's what the pros do. But if... Pro, don't copy them and go throw a slushy at someone else. Adam Wingfield said, I hope her check engine light comes on and it traces back to the turbo going out. Tom Quinn said, uh, brilliant. That'll help the industry image for sure. Mitchell Mankiewicz, she didn't use three points of contact getting out of the truck. He's a safety guy. He's always concerned about that. And the Everclear boy said, have we sadly gotten to the point with this kind of stupidity that it's a trend? It'd be better if they just bought a stranger a cup of coffee and wished them a good day. Kindness should be a trend. Not this kind of dumb S. I don't know. What do y'all think? You're going to start throwing a slushie at your truck? Someone else's? Maybe your horse? Maybe your dog? Maybe your mother? Maybe your friend? Maybe your freight caster? Well, don't. Don't. It's not good. By the way, I usually don't cover executive moves on here, but I know James Reed. I'm familiar with Kodiak. I'm familiar with Walmart. And this is pretty big news if you think about it. James Reed came from USA Truck. He was over at Kodiak. Now he, according to Fernando Cortes, who's a senior vice president of transportation at Walmart, he posted this on LinkedIn. He said, exciting news to share today. We're welcoming James Reed to our transportation leadership team as our new vice president of transportation development, a proven leader in the transportation industry. James brings with him a wealth of expertise, innovative ideas, and a passion 
for excellence. Welcome, James. We are thrilled to have you at Walmart. Now, James answered back, too. He posted about this on LinkedIn, and this is really interesting. Do you think Kodiak Autonomous Trucks will be coming to Walmart based on this partnership? Well, let's take a listen to what James says. He says, I'm excited to share an exciting career update with my LinkedIn network friends and colleagues. I'll see I will soon be joining Walmart as Vice President of Transportation Development. I'll be starting early in February, and I'm excited for that. what that role will bring. As for Kodiak, in addition to continuing in my role on Kodiak's Board of Directors, I'll also continue as a strategic advisor. I'll be launching and chairing a new Kodiak Industry Advisory Council. The council will bring trucking leadership together to ensure Kodiak's solution solves this customer's biggest pain points. Serving these roles, I will continue to provide strategic and operational guidance derived from my experience in the trucking industry and evangelizing Kodiak. Kodiak's transformational life-saving technology in the broader transportation logistics industry. I'm excited to remain closely involved in Kodiak's growth. Sounds to me, Kodiak Walmart partnership incoming. What do y'all think? Let me know in the comments. You like it? You hate it? You excited for James? Um, On a personal level, knowing him, I'm excited for him, but I know y'all don't love autonomous trucks either. Either way, I kind of think Walmart might be looking in that direction with this hiring, but so are a lot of carriers. Hey, on episode 674 of What the Truck, I'm talking to Revoy founder Ian Russ about their new device that instantly turns any diesel truck into a hybrid. This thing's super neat. Have you seen it? It hooks up to the fifth wheel. It's like this big uh, battery box. I mean, he'll describe it better. He's up here in about 30 seconds. We'll talk to him all about it, but it's really, really neat. We got some video on it. He'll tell us what it does. They just put out a press release. It might be ready for prime time. Maybe you can start purchasing them. I'm not sure. We're here to learn. Fresh off his appearance on Tucker Carlson show. My trucker friend Gord McGill stops by to talk about how he got that opportunity. He's going to talk about the Canadian trucking protest where the allegation against these truckers were thrown out in court. And also on Twitter, there are people on there who think Gord is not even a real person. They think he's a supply chain crisis actor or something that Tucker had just like found off the street and brought on. It's caused this big battle on Twitter. So we're going to bring Gord on. He's going to prove that he is real to all of you and we'll find out how he got the opportunity. And of course, we'll bring it back to message. What's going on in Canada? which was the important thing before this got diverted by weird conspiracy theorists on Twitter. Conduit's co-founder Conrad Lillianus is here. He's talking about building a doc tech company hell-bent on driving warehouse efficiency. Mac Logistics, Rob List talks rail intermodal Loyola's uh, supply chain program and the power of playing Scrabble. But right now, Ian Rust, founder and CEO over at Revoy, is sitting right with us. And I like the room. It's very kind of rustic, Ian. Thank you. Thank you. I've been told it looks like a coffee shop. So if you want a cappuccino, I'd be happy to make one for you. <laughs> I dig it. Where, where are you? Are you over in California? Because I looked in your background. You've walked some of the same streets as me. You went to MIT. I did. I did. Yeah. So I studied robotics at MIT. Nice. What was your favorite spot in Cambridge or Boston when you're out there? Oh, I love the Asgard. Did you ever go there? Uh, what is it? Wings on Wednesdays? It was or Thursdays? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I haven't been there, but um, I, I'll check it out next time in the neighborhood. I hope it didn't shut. Yeah, down. you should. A few of those MIT yeah, people have, uh, shut down. Yeah, yeah. Miracle of Science maybe is still there. We'll see. It, well, you have a very interesting background from MIT. You spent some time with crews, right? You spent on the autonomous okay. car side. Um, tell us a little bit about your background, then we're gonna, we'll jump into sort of this Revoy story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like I said, I studied robotics at MIT and I spent some time in classical industrial robotics. So assembly line stuff, uh, six axis robot arms, putting things together. Uh, But the majority of my career was spent in the autonomous vehicle industry and what we're doing with Revoy actually. So I left that industry over six years ago. And uh, what we're doing with Revoy is we're taking that technology, the part of it that works today, and we're applying it not to 
uh, uh, replacing the driver, right? We're applying it to replacing the fuel source, taking it from diesel to electric power. Um, and so what's really great about that is we don't need to take away any jobs for drivers. We can actually assist them. Our product, along with being a fuel saver, is a driver assistant. Um, it helps them uh, get torque when they're accelerating. It helps them brake. Uh, we can help the, the truck stop a lot sooner, which will definitely prevent accidents. Um, and most importantly, we can uh, really boost MPG, uh, more than doubling right now. Um, and obviously that has huge emissions implications. Well, I like what you're saying, and you're making a solution for a problem that a lot of people have as they try to transition. But before we even jump into that, I'm curious, why the jump from AV to EV? They're both interesting spaces. A lot of times they get intertwined. People think of them the same. They're completely sort of different industries developing on different development curves. But what was your reason for, for starting this company and going in the EV direction? Absolutely. So uh, it came from two things. One, it's my experience in the autonomous vehicle industry and all the challenges that's entailed. It's, it's, a, it's a huge technical lift. It's a very difficult problem. Drivers do a lot. They are very, very good at their jobs and replacing that with software is quite difficult. Um, the other part of it is when we look at the per mile cost of trucking, as you well know, the two big ones are driver wages and fuel, right? And uh, What's really cool uh, is that what I realized is we can use that autonomous vehicle technology, like I said, that's been pointed at the driver and we can point it at the fuel source. And that's really why I decided to build the product is uh, really to drive savings for uh, fleets and also help them hit their decarbonization goals. We know that's been uh, particularly difficult with the way electrification has been happening uh, pre-Revoy in the industry. You know, I just saw someone post on uh, Twitter yesterday, they posted a picture and it was, it was, I think it was one of your units and they were like, Whoa, just saw this crazy thing over at the, the truck stop. Guys, roll the tape right here so people can see it and then get an idea of what this thing is. But it's a big pack on wheels that, as you can see right there, it connects to your fifth wheel and it connects to the trailer. Tell us all about this thing. Yeah, so um, it's really cool in the fact that it actually doubles as a yard dock. Um, so we do all the trailer moves for our customers. And this is something our, uh, our drivers that are currently using the vehicle right now on live loads um, really love about it is that they don't have to get out and you know crank the landing gear up and down. They don't have to go and back into that spot and hunt for the spot and go hunt for their new trailer and pull it out. They literally just show up to the gate. We hop off and go and park their trailer for them. And then uh, if they're picking up a new trailer, uh, it, we also swap out our vehicle uh, so they get a freshly charged pack. Um, they don't have to sit there and wait for a charge like you would with a you know integrated battery pack into the tractor. Um, and they can go and hit the road. That process right there takes uh, four minutes. Um, and that's actually how we do our recharges as well. So that process of hooking it up, it looks exactly like a trailer, except it's a trailer that you don't have to go and do the landing gear on. We hop it off for you. And that process of, of hooking up can also be used to swap out the entire vehicle. And so we run what are called swapping stations where uh, our customers show up with a depleted battery on their Revoy EV, and then they drop that one off, uh, and then they pick up a brand new one and get right back onto the road. Uh, one of the real big challenges with electric trucks right now is the uptime. Uh, it takes a long time to charge these large battery packs. And when you uh, make the driver sit and wait for that, that has huge implications for earnings. Um, if uh, the important thing here is we want to get truckers back out onto the road earning money because that's the really important thing. And by turning it into a swap, that process takes less than five minutes. Uh, we timed it the other day. It's four minutes um, from start to finish getting back out onto the road. 
Now, so I connect this to my truck. Now, how is it powering the truck? Am I still using like my diesel engine? What kind of miles mileage do I get out of this thing? How does that aspect of it work? Yeah, so the integration with the truck is no different from a trailer. So there's only the airlines, the J560 connector, and obviously the fifth wheel hitch. And that's it. We don't connect to any CAN bus stuff. We don't do any further connections than that. So we can take any diesel trucks, even the pre-DPF ones, and hook up the, our battery power. And right now, we're more than doubling our MPG on live loads with customers. Um, so, and that's just a step change, as you know, in 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 uh, fuel efficiency. Now, what does this uh, do? Because there's such a quest, like there was maybe a misguided quest for zero emissions vehicles in this space. It's a, it's still a big challenge with the battery packs, with weight and everything factoring in. What is sort of like the, uh, car, is this like carb compliant? What is the emission load on this? How, do, how does this help me? Yeah, so the big thing is that it is all about actually fuel savings. So the important thing we think we need to make happen for electrification to work for the industry is to not make it cost more. Um, it's really important uh, to keep your costs in line, as you know, a lot of your viewers know. And so what we offer is electrification as a service. Um, it is, uh, as compared to you know, buying a brand new electric truck, that thing can be three times the cost as an internal combustion truck, as a diesel truck. And so, and then you have to go and figure out your charging. And if you don't source your electricity well, it actually ends up being more expensive to charge than it is to refuel a diesel vehicle. And so what we provide for our customers is a really, really easy transition that isn't more expensive, it's actually less expensive. And that's how we think we can drive adoption of electric vehicles in the industry is, regardless of what it is, it should be something that benefits the industry beyond just you know, pushing pure electric vehicles onto them. It's it's a soft transition. Um, you know, diesel has done a wonderful job for the industry for a very, very long time, and we don't think it's going to go anywhere. What we think we can do, though, is make the emissions impact of that diesel less. Uh, like I said, more than doubling the MPG, which more than halves the emissions on that vehicle. And uh, in doing so, we don't make them have to worry about range if for example, our battery pack depletes before a stop. It actually can just be towed as dead weight. There's no implications on having this. You know, if you if you run out of battery with an electric truck, you are stuck. You need a tow. With us, you just pull into the next stop and just continue on as you go. Um, so we just want to make it a a really easy and seamless uh, transition for our fleet customers. Uh, for example, on our our route that is currently active in Texas and Arkansas, uh, the uh, our customer fleet's routes have not changed whatsoever. Uh, much has been said also about the, you know, battery weight tax uh, in terms of weight on these vehicles uh, on, on full electric semis. For us, uh, we actually uh, take a, a very different tactic in that regard in that we accept the fact that battery packs are heavy. Um, that is something that is just a hard constraint right now. We need to have major breakthroughs in battery technology for that full electrification solution to work. But what we can do is by making this flexible solution, if, for example, a overall GVW can't support that, that battery weight text, well, we just wave it on. We say, hey, go about your day. We're not going to get in your way. Just go for it. And so um, for those ones where it does work, uh, because of the extra weight, well, we can hop on and go ahead and provide fuel savings as well as emission savings. And what's really interesting is that uh, that proportion of overall GVWs that can support our EV is about two thirds of the market. 
right now. Um, and so what we really need right now is not something that's just a perfect solution, zero emissions. We need something that can do good right now and drive savings for customers. And that's, that's how we make electrification happen. Now, so very interesting too, and, and you mentioned, so how long does like, and I know that this depends on the weight of what you're hauling, the roads you're on, the elevation, the wind and the weather, but what is sort of the average battery uptime? How long will one of these stay charged for me before I had to bring it to one of these recharge stations or swap? Yeah, it's, it's called them. Yeah, swap it. It's all right. Um, so uh, it's actually very, very flexible. So uh, it's a trade-off between MPG and range. So we can go very, very long range, you know, 400, 500 miles for a small boost in MPG, but still a boost. Or we can pack all that electric power into a shorter range and get really, really high MPG savings, you know, far above that double number. Um, and so once again, it's that's why it's so important that it's uh, a modular component, and it's not the only thing driving your truck. You know, that diesel system is so useful. And so if we keep that in the loop, it just gives uh, 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 trucking fleets that that flexibility to just do it in a way that works for them. You have a few, how many of these are like running out on the road right now? You mentioned you have a few lanes. Yeah, so we have a lane set up in Texas and Arkansas, um, hauling loads for a automotive supply chain, which is pretty fun since we are also an automotive OEM. Um, and then we're also standing up routes in California as well as Oregon. Um, and it's really important that we're actually starting outside of California. Um, you know, our home state is California. We love California, but uh, we believe that, you know, it needs to work outside of California in order for it to work, you know, despite all the mandates there. And that's why we're actually starting in Texas, because this is the type of solution that can work anywhere, regardless of incentives, regardless of mandates. It it just works and it drives savings. Um, and that's really how we make it work. Hey, have you showed these to my buddy, sometimes What the Truck co-host, sustainability director over at Covenant, Matt McClelland? Absolutely. I love Matt. He's he's great. Um, I actually met up with Matt at uh, MCE in a Walmart parking lot and, and gave him a little <laughs> overview of the vehicle. It was pretty fun. Did he, did he like it? Or will Covenant bring someone? Like, how do fleets get these now? Are, are, are these available? Do you have to join like a, a pilot program? Um, are they ready for prime time? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are in production. We have a factory here in California, so we're made in America. And uh, basically can... Uh, uh, do installs at pilot scales in arbitrary locations. It all takes as a PO. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the key too is we run this as a service and that's a big part of how we make this work for our customers. So rather than having to purchase a very expensive electric truck and figure out all your charging and maybe you'll break even some point in the future, we figure that all out for our customers. And what we provide is actually not an electric vehicle that they have to buy. Uh, and we also don't, you know, have them per, uh, spend all that capex to do uh, infrastructure installs, and they don't have to go out into energy markets to source their electricity. We bundle those together, and what our customers get when they show up to one of our swapping stations is they get a pre-charged, ready-to-go vehicle that can be put onto their truck in two minutes, and it can just start driving savings right there. And so it's a much easier transition. So we can actually get a route set up, stood up in about a week. Now, sort of how with EVs, sort of trucks, at, at least at the moment, are kind of locked into certain lanes where there's available chargers and everything. Right now, does this have to scale out, these swap stations? Because are, are you sort of tethered between them? Uh, so, no. That's actually one of the really interesting bits about our product is that, it, it, and it gets into this, this fractional nature of it. So our route in Texas and Arkansas, it's a long-haul route, and we believe long-haul is the most important thing in trucking um, in terms of a lot of things, but definitely electrification. And so this is a long haul route. 
we're actually in the middle of it. And so when our customer passes through our service area, we hop on, we provide all the benefits of the Revoy EV. And then when they leave our area of service, we hop off and then they continue on as normal. And so we actually only build charging where there are vehicles being used. And that's a really big difference from the chicken egg problem we have in electrification right now. We, we saw this in the passenger vehicle space. Uh, you know, Tesla had to build the, the supercharger network in order to get people to even consider buying their vehicles. And it makes a lot of sense, right? You're not gonna buy an electric vehicle if you can't operate it uh, out there. And a key, a key uh, part of operation is you need to be able to refuel it. You need to be able to recharge it. And so you're not gonna buy an electric truck if there aren't megawatt chargers out there, which by the way, there are very, very few of those out there. And it's, it's a type of charger that passenger vehicles can't use. And so therefore, uh, it's, it's just a whole other chicken egg problem that's been created. Um, on the flip side, charging providers aren't going to build a megawatt charger if there isn't a significant amount and critical mass of, of electric trucks mm. to get utilization on that asset. And so who moves first? Um, you know, right now, uh, the federal government is trying to unstick that problem by using subsidies and the IRA and the infrastructure bill. But we take a di very different tact, which is uh, we only do these these installs in a certain location and we don't need to extend past that because you can just pass through, get the savings where they are and then revert back to diesel when you leave. And so we can really slowly and naturally build out that network. You know, we'll, we have these two. Uh, two swapping stations on this route. We add one more. It expands our area of service. We add one more. We add our we uh, add to our area of service. But it works at any scale, which is really cool. You don't need this large scale charging network to start working. Ian, really, really interesting. I'm excited for Revoy and and yourself. People who want to learn more information, they want to get more details from you on how to bring this into their fleet. Where do I send them to? Yeah, please just get in touch with me directly. Uh, Ian at Revoy.com. Um, it's R-E-V-O-Y.com. Uh, I-A-N is my name. Um, and yeah, please reach out. Cool, man. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for showing us this solution and have a great weekend. You too, Tim. Great talking. Take, take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile. What's going on here for drizzle? G-Wagon. What's happening here? Little road rage. This guy's going to stop by and confront them. But maybe he'll learn a lesson. Here comes the window. Scoop of freight brokers here. They're armed. Be careful who you pull over, people. Don't, don't just pull over any random strangers out there. Do meet strangers on the internet, though. I met this stranger on the internet, Rob Liss. He's the vice president at Maca Logistics, an, an agency of Armstrong Transportation Group. What's up, my man? Hey, Gunnar, thanks so much for, for meeting you. It's, it's, well, I met you at, at F3 uh, a few weeks ago, and or, well, I'm a little nervous, man. The first time on, uh, on, a, on a television thing, so I got a, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place. So I appreciate you having me and, and uh, the opportunity to kind of talk to you. Well, we'll keep you as contained as we can. By the way, love the vest. You, you're wearing your classic standard issue vest. I've seen it in many photographs. I've seen it in person, and it looks just as good on TV, Rob. Thanks, thanks. It's the, uh, you know, I don't know, the old uh, MTV show with uh, that mystery guy, where it's the peacock thing, where it's sort of like, hey, here's the, you see somebody at a conference, whatever it is, it's like, who's the guy in the vest? So it's kind of a, a way to kind of stand out without being hopefully not too obnoxious about it. So yeah, I go the like I go obnoxious to stand out. But either way, I mean, it's just marketing, you need yeah. people, you need people to, uh, to see and understand who you are. So let's start there. Who and what is Maca Logistics? Yeah, no, great, great question. So um, we're the largest agency of Armstrong. So Armstrong's a top 25 broker. Um, we're about 10% of that revenue. 
So uh, what we did our last two years was add an asset authority. So we have uh, 20 reefer boxes. There's one of ours there. Um, and we have contracts with uh, the BNSF and the CPKC. So we're legally a truckload carrier. Um, any Armstrong office can book us as a carrier. Uh, what we're really leading into is Mexico. Uh, so I run the operations in Chicago, but our home office is down the border outside of McAllen. So I was down in uh, Dallas last week. This week I was in Laredo um, and down at our home office, uh, you know, outside McAllen. Uh, so we're really excited for um, particularly uh, our partnership with the CPKC. We kind of see that as uh, kind of a leading point for what they're doing in Mexico and also with our, our customer base. So historically, we do a lot of shipments to and from the border, kind of handling that on the U.S. side. Um, we wanted to get deeper into Mexico, and we figured the best way to do that is, is on our own assets. And there's some, some really exciting things happening um, with cross-border intermodal with Mexico. Yeah, well, you know, I, on our last episode, I covered Craig Fuller, our founder and CEO over here, his market call. And one of the bullet points that he had in there for why he sees the market recovering over the next year and into in, into next year as well is nearshoring. You know, we have all the all the drama going on over in the Red Sea, got the Panama Canal issues. But this happened back during COVID. A lot of companies took an interest in getting back onto shores over here. Are you starting to see some of the fruits of that bear out over at, at the border? It's just tip of the iceberg. So it's really, really just starting in terms of, you know, if you want to move your factory in there, that's a two, three year process just to get your factory set up. Um, so it's a, there's been a lot of growth last two, three years. If you drive down to, to Laredo, um, uh, Craig shared a tweet that I had or was, uh, when I drove down on, on Monday, and I was just, you know, so many trucks backed up. Uh, it, and it's something where it's, you just kind of see that, that growth towards Laredo and really Dallas is going to be the future of it. Laredo's already the biggest port in the U.S. It's overtaken Long Beach. Um, so it's really just starting in terms of companies that want to move more and more production to Mexico. Um, that's still in the pipeline. And there's already tons and tons of, of business that's, that's flowing through. Uh, and it's only going to continue to accelerate, um, which I think is, is, a, is a great thing for, for everybody. Um, you know, uh, friendlier, uh, more prosperous neighbors are, are, are great things to have. And, and uh, we're really excited for kind of what that means, you know, not just, uh, you know, for us, but for, for um, everyone in North America. It's a great, it's a great trend uh, to see that, see that continue. You know, when I when I watch you online, we, we follow each other. I've seen you, you clap back at a few people who, who try to talk down at rail or, or they don't like rail. Let's let's build rail up a little bit. What's good in rail right now, especially for shippers looking towards that option? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, you know, the big thing is uh, sustainability. So you look at, if you really want to have a sustainable supply chain, I was really impressed listening to Ian and, and his gentrification yeah. thing, but he was talking, you know, the, the biggest constraint is the infrastructure behind it. You got to have your charging station here, your charging station there. How do you build that out? You know, uh, railroads have been around for, you know, the, the establishment of railroads are contemporaneous with George Washington. So over here, we're building, you know, a, a whole new system of government. In England, they're like, hey, let's, you know, put some exploding box on wheels and carry some stuff. And uh, 100 years later, you've got the, cost, or the, the Transcontinental Railroad kind of connecting this country. So all the cities that are built up, all the infrastructure in this country, in North America, is built around railroads. Uh, so far more efficient, uh, steel wheel on a steel track, far more efficient than rubber and asphalt. Um, the diesel usage, far more efficient. Um, CPKC has, uh, hydrogen locomotives that they've, uh, been piloting out. So there's, uh, tons of energy savings. So if you're a company that's made some kind of ESG commitment, something like that, rail has to be part of your strategy. It's just, it's just the, that's the only way to do it. 
um, right now. There's You don't need to wait for new technology. You don't need to wait for something to get developed. That's an immediate deployment, really low hanging fruit. Um, so that's a big a big portion that I think goes, goes underrepresented. Um, the second is you kind of look at certain areas where rail makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, California long haul moves are always going to make sense. Coast to coast is going to be cheaper, fast, just as fast, um, really efficient. With uh, Mexico and Canada, it's a, in terms of infrastructure investments, uh, the Canadian Pacific Railroad's building, it spent $125 million to build a second bridge on Laredo. Um, I saw the construction of it. It's going to be open by the end of the year. I was able to walk the current bridge, get on a train um, earlier this week, which was awesome. Uh, but the really advantage part there is that it's the perfect mixture of public-private investment. So the railroad owns the bridge. The road spends the money. There's not a, um, a, a there's no taxpayer money that's going to it. It's this new capacity that's coming in. Uh, they cross on average 25 trains a day. So they're sending one northbound. They wait a few minutes. There's one waiting on the southbound end that covers the other way. Um, but the Border Patrol is, is right there. So everything that they can do to be easy to work with, with Customs and Border Patrol, they already do it. So they've built a building for them there on site at the bridge. They have that there. You know, They owned it. They gave it to CPB for like a dollar or something like that. Um, they've got a, a, a x-ray machine that checks every box that goes through. If there's a secondary inspection, it goes to their yard. They, again, built a facility for Border Patrol on their property um, where they can, you know, hey, we flagged this box. It's got to get inspected for whatever reason. They can roll right off. Uh, they can inspect it there. They can turn that over a lot faster. So it's the, um, the way that dynamic works is sort of a private company going to the government saying, hey, what do you need to do your jobs better? And rather than going through several layers of bureaucracy or whatever to get some taxpayer funds to make that happen, the private entity can just be like, hey, we this, this is what you need. We'll build this for you. Let's start moving faster on that. So that, that's some areas where um, the crossing is a lot faster. It's a lot safer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it, there's a, uh, a lot of advantages in terms of, of safety on rail, um, uh, especially in, in Mexico. So there's a big issue going on in Texas, right? Federal government, Texas, there's 25 other uh, state governors now. This battle over at the border, is that any threat to cross-border freight if this starts really escalating? On, on, a, on a macro scale, sure. I mean, it, yeah. it's uh, you see that in Eagle Pass, you see that in different areas. Um, you know, one thing that's uh, easy to you know not consider is just the sheer distances involved. Where Texas is, you know, the size of you know Germany or Europe, whatever it is. You know, it's, it's a huge geography. So problems that you have in Eagle Pass and El Paso are not the same problems that you have in you know Laredo, uh, you know, McAllen, Brownsville. Um, they're just very different. Uh, so one thing that I was really impressed by, uh, so I asked the, you know, cause you see the, the pictures of the migrants on the train in Eagle Pass and, and, you know, they had to shut down that crossing. Um, they never shut down the crossing in Laredo. That, that was not an issue there. So I asked the border patrol person when we're, you know, um, the officer and we're, you know, inspecting the train, like, Hey, have you had issues? And the number, and I was blown away by it. The number of people that they caught on a train coming through last year in total was three. And they were people that were inside of a finished automotive car that tried to sneak in that way, but they caught them right away going through the extra machine. So, um, you know, they run, uh, the CBKC has, they own all the track, you know, coming up from the ports in Mexico, north into Canada, coast to coast. So it's all one continuous line. There's not, hey, this entity owns this track. It needs to hand off this track. It's all one line. When they run in Mexico, they'll have drones that follow the truck on it. If it's, or follow the train, um, it's going through a, high risk area for whatever reason they can put on 
armed guards. The train doesn't stop out of secure locations. Um, so in terms of, you know, right now, the way that they've set themselves up, and again, it's the perfect example of a, a, a private public partnership really working in tandem, um, is that they've been able to kind of run that through um, and figure out, hey, what do you guys need to make it safer? What do you guys need to do it? Um, really focusing on that. Uh, so, so that's been been really beneficial. But there's always going to be problems in, in, in you know, a macro level. Um, those problems are only going to get bigger. Uh, but kind of having that that private infrastructure, that more of a closed loop, less actors coming into it, um, I think that's going to continue to be a, a really good solution. And relatively, it's going to become an even better solution as you kind of push this forward into the future. Yeah, I mean this this year is uh, the year of of po- like sort of political influence threat to freight between the the Red Sea and the border. There's a lot of spinning plates going around in conflict. But you ha- are here to promote something. You're going to Loyola. You've been to Loyola, and you're doing a sustainability series. Speak there. Tell us about it. Yeah, no, I'm uh, really really glad you brought that up. The uh, so I'm Loyola graduate. My uh, my wife at Loyola, so I'm you know bleed maroon, bleed maroon and gold. Uh, and I had the opportunity to kind of speak about the CPKC merger um, on campus uh, last year. So we're uh, quietly kind of sponsoring. Our name's not on anything. Again, we're, we're primarily we operate as Armstrong. Our customers know us as Armstrong. You know, they might know Maca, they might see the boxes, but you know, Armstrong is really our branding. So it, it's not something that we're. It's not a promotion for us. It's just something that we uh, like to do to kind of give back to to the school um, and to get in front of students. And um, I think most people kind of um, end up in supply chain. Uh, unintentionally, right? Like I wasn't a supply chain major, I was English and economics, right? Um, so what you kind of see across the board, or what we'd like to do is uh, get more of a head start to some students that like want to study it, want to be in it. Can we get them some better resources, some more exposure to uh, people in the industry? Uh, so we're really excited. We've got a great speaker lineup. Uh, February 7th, we've got the Catholic Ethical Purchasing Alliance coming in. I don't know too much about them. The university has set that one up, but I think it's more of making sure that um, the, uh, uh, if you're a, a Catholic institution, if you're putting out, you know, t-shirts or whatever with your university stuff that it, it was ethically and, and uh, properly sourced, uh, March 13th, we've got the chief sustainability officer of, uh, the Norfolk Southern Railroad, Josh, Josh Raglan's going to speak, uh, to students virtually. Um, these are all uh, available. They're for students. It's a target class for students. They're also available to the public. So if you're uh, interested, uh, definitely hop on the Loyal website. You'll be able to start registering for some of those talks pretty soon. Uh, March 20th, we've got uh, Campbell Bright. She spent 20 years for the United Nations um, as the director of supply chain in different missions, most recently in Lebanon, before that in the Sudan. She's an uh, extremely, extremely interesting person. Um, able to talk about a lot of really, really great, unique experiences there. Um, uh, on campus, we're going to have two uh, live events where it's going to be, it's, it's a Catholic university, so it's a wet campus. So we'll have some, um, uh, uh, um, Sorry, I got the dog here uh, jumping on me, but sure. uh, we'll have uh, um, uh, it's a happy hour, food on campus, open to the public, again, for students, but open to anybody. Um, and so Wilson Sporting Goods is going to come out. And we also uh, offered one of those spaces to Freight Waves. Uh, the generously uh, Freight Waves has already uh, agreed to, they, they got programs with different universities to let so, uh, give Sonar access to students. I know there's a call next week to set up Loyola with some sonar access. So I just want to say thank you for that and support. I know that I would have loved to have as a student to understand the market going into it. Um, so I just want to say thank you uh, again to the sonar for all that. And, and we, we, we love the opportunity to, to be on shows like this and, and talk about it. And, and we appreciate all the support. 
Now, Rob, I'm running a little short on time with you because I got two great guests coming after you. But my last question is to be kind of like a lightning answer because next time we'll go deeper on Scrabble. I read your entire essay. But what <laughs> does Scrabble teach us about freight? Uh, Scrabble teaches you about, about life. I guess it's a little bit of a problem of, uh, you know, if, if you uh, have a hammer, every problem is a nail. Well, Scrabble is my hammer. So I, I love Scrabble. Uh, $100 if you can beat me. Don't, if, if, you know, if you lose, it doesn't cost you anything. But you see me at a freight conference or anywhere else or just generally want to challenge me, you can beat me 100 bucks. Because uh, if you can beat me in Scrabble, we're probably going to be really good friends. Um, this will be our next the, uh, appearance. We'll have you on. I'll, I'll take you on in Scrabble. That'll just be the whole show. Sounds sounds good. <laughs> It'll be a five minute show because I'll whip your ass and take your hundred bucks in no time. No, I'm just kidding. Game, game on! I, I love it. I love it. You're. Uh, it's uh, again. I, I know we're short on time, but uh, yeah. I am. I am very good at Scrabble. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, how do people reach out to you in the meantime and take you up on that offer, or maybe uh, book some rail, or have you go speak? Yeah. So uh, our list uh, liss at macalogistics.com is the best email. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. Um, also LinkedIn. Uh, most active on. Um, so happy to connect uh, with anybody uh, and, and always talk about freight. So uh, thanks Thank so much you, for having me on and for the opportunity. You did a great job. You weren't too nervous and we even got to meet your dog. Thank you so much for coming on What the Truck. <laughs> you have a great weekend, Robbie. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Elsewhere. Oh, look at this. Imagine having a fleet perfect. of these. Oh, a little semi-truck go-kart. He's even got a trailer for it. You're going to see in a second over here. You can connect he it to. Maybe you can get one of those right? Revoy power units hooked up to it. It's a full-on flatbed trailer with tandems, dude. <laughs> tandems. Tandems. Did you see the tandems on it? Oh, yeah. And this thing, it's not no lightweight deal. Okay. It's amazing. I'm glad this came early Come so on. I can tell my wife what to more. save up for for uh, Christmas. Uh, over. You're uh, right. Honey, if you're listening, there. that. That is what it's I want for Christmas. Dude, I'm not joking. Now we got to plug in the trailer connector because all right, pretty sick. All right, we can drop that. Up. That's pretty awesome, though. I love these little these little trucks. You got anything cool like that? Send it my way. But right now we got Conrad Lilinus, a CEO and co-founder at Conduit. Hello, sir. Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you? You're doing good. By the way, you are a uh, you're. If I'm not mistaken, you're a convoy alum. Are you not? That's right, ex-convoy. Ex-convoy. Did you go straight to Conduit from Convoy? Did you, did you go straight to co-founding? this company? Yeah. So about 18 months ago, I departed Convoy and started Conduit. So took a few months off to chill after kind of a wild ride there and jumped right into it about uh, 15 months ago. Beautiful. So what is Conduit for those of us who may not know? Sure. Conduit makes software for warehouses to gain efficiency, visibility, and ultimately stay better in control from the gate to the yard to the dock. So our software is used for warehouse docks in the yard and at the gate. And what makes us special is threefold. Uh, first, compared to a lot of other solutions out there, we're incredibly easy to get started with. We had a customer on the phone last week ask us, why does an iPhone not come with a user manual? And it's the same set of design principles for Conduit. It's incredibly intuitive, simple, yet still customizable for your operations. The other reason is we'll scale with you. So you can start with just doc scheduling or document management and then add on additional solutions with literally a click of a button. And we're ready to walk with you on your digitization journey as a warehouse. And then lastly, we do a whole lot more than you think. It's not just about scheduling or getting trucks in. It's about efficiency, safety, reliability, and audibility. So 
One example, we have a driver check-in tool that lets drivers stay in their cab the entire journey. So from checking in, verifying they're there for the right load, uploading their driver's license, getting their doctor assignment and more, and that'll cut down on uh, safety incidents as well as reduce dwell time in the yard. So we do a lot of other things like that that a lot of our customers are surprised by. Conrad, on our last show, we were talking about the biggest scams in transportation. All these were sort of users submitted from people within supply chain. And a lot of the ones that came in were appointment times, scheduling, um, visibility, awareness, all these things that you're trying to solve. How do we make this not a scam? How do we make it so a driver, how do we make it so a warehouse knows a driver is coming and then they don't get there and don't have to wait 10 hours or they get there and they're told they have to come back. They get there on a Friday. They're told they have to come back on Monday. What is this driver supposed to do throughout the weekend? It's a super good question. I love that segment. It got me fired up for this show. So on Conduit, instead of showing up and having to wait two hours, three hours, not knowing what's coming, you can pre-enroll. You can check in for your appointment remotely and be put in a queue so you don't have to wait at that yard, be you know, hoping someone's going to tell you what's coming. You can look at where you are in that queue, get a message right from the facility when you're ready. And you know, long story short to your question, it's all about increasing visibility between parties and reducing these data silos that exist between the warehouse, the broker, and the carrier. Interesting. Now, how does this, we, we have recently started this year talking about where, right? The efficiency of warehouses in that new program. How does this new tech help with that and make you compliant? Um, where is really interesting. For those of you who aren't familiar, it's a new tax, essentially, that's going live in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And it's being rolled out to warehouses, saying that they are partly responsible for the emissions from trucks coming and going from their facilities. And warehouses are required to submit an annual report showing the number of truck trips, different classes of trucks, the different fuel types, you know, diesel, clean energy, what have you, as well as the actions they are taking to reduce emissions against those trucks. So they kind of like cancel each other out. You're, you're fined on one side, but you reduce the fine on the other side. Importantly, the first report for warehouses over 150,000 square feet is due January 31st of this year. So you have five days to get that first report in. Wow. And uh, Conduit can help you in two ways. Uh, first, warehouses have to calculate truck trips on their own with all of the requirements for fuel type. If your shipping and receiving clerk or security guard are signing drivers in on pen and paper, we have a very easy to use digital solution for you that will also gather the data that you need to be where compliant. And then second, so that's on the uh, calculating the trip side. On the other side is reducing your fuel emissions penalties. Conduit will help reduce the amount of dwell time and the emissions from that dwell time in your yard through our contactless check-in and check-out solution. And you can use that to reduce your penalties against your emissions. Wow. Conrad, what trend is going to drive 2024 in warehouses and and warehouse tech? Oh, man. (laughs) There's so many. I think, you know, the things that excite me the most are things we can do to increase efficiency and reduce emissions you go into some yards that have moved away from like a propane forklift, you know, it might be old school for some folks, but the air quality that's in the warehouse and then the air quality outside of the warehouse with diesel trucks going to electric, it's just, it's creating a much safer, more efficient uh, environment that everyone enjoys being in much more. 
Very, very cool. Now, Conrad, how do people reach out to you? How do they get conduit in there? How do they get wear compliant? And how do they make so drivers aren't sitting around getting frustrated and adding to the turnover in this industry? Yeah, love it. So please reach out uh, Conrad at helloconduit.com or go to helloconduit.com and reach out. Thank you so much for stopping by. You have an amazing weekend and uh, good luck, Conduit. Thanks so much. Take care, sir. All right, I'm really excited for, for this talk. We're going to get into a lot of stuff. But first, we have to find out if this gentleman is even real. There's been a controversy that has exploded on X. Roll the tape. Believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two f but I am telling you right now, that mother that back there is not real. And you can sit on this plane and you can f***ing die with so for those of you who don't know, our friend, he was at F3, a lot of us within the Freight X community know this gentleman. Uh, he was on Tucker Carlson, and it got good reaction from a lot of people. However, there were some conspiracy theorists who don't even think this gentleman is real. So let's bring him up right now. It's Gordon McGill, trucker, writer, outside the box commentary from inside the cab, wearing a wonderful t-shirt, and he's wearing that uh, that nefarious hat, the please advise hat that um, gives everyone, uh, gives away our cabal that is going on here, our, our supply chain crisis actor cabal that we're running. Right, Gord? I'm happy to be part of the psyop, sir. <laughs> you are an owner psy operator. I lo love to hear it. Now you're you're real, Gord, right? Let's just let's just verify you to put everything on that side to bed. Tell us a little bit about your background and and why Polly and and some of her followers are completely wrong about you. Oh man, well you know, for people that get hung up on details, uh, they don't know how to use search engines very well. I've been writing on the trucking business online since 2017. Um, in 2015, I was interviewed by Atlas Obscura, which is like a geography nerd website. And, you know, I write at autonomoustruckers.substack.com and I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. So I, I don't know how she missed that. Yeah, I don't know either. She put this tweet out. It, uh, she says, does anyone know Gord McGill? Why is he wearing a costume? Obviously, she doesn't know you. This is just how you dress. Sometimes you dress like a, like an alligator hunter. Sometimes you dress like a Canadian logger. Sometimes you dress like just a degenerate freight exer with the please advise hat and a what the truck shirt. Is that not true? I have a variety of outfits. Like, shouldn't we all? I, I would think we should. I imagine Polly's got more than one outfit herself. I think she's being a little bit unfair. She even says, it's really weird to me that a bunch of freight brokers have a whole ecosystem, including podcasts, magazine, merch, and Discord service for doing online brigading under the code FreightX. Uh, Polly, FreightX, it used to be called Freight Twitter. Elon changed the name. So we, our PSYOP had to change the name. All proven today, truckers, this is not good. Looks like tech bros are hoping to Uber you. Here's one of those magazines, Freight Bandit magazine that she's, uh, that she's talking about here. Um, Polly, like any industry, we have media and people make merchandise and people market and sell. Just like if you opened the pages of a magazine, there's merchandise in there. There's media that covers it. I, I'm not sure there's anything to fear us. But in terms of your trucking, this you've you've done like road trains in Australia. You've done logs up in Canada. I've uh, lived a pretty charmed life behind the wheel and taken every advantage and opportunity I can to uh, not let oceans get in the way. So, yeah, I did a stint running road trains in Australia. I uh, was up on the ice for four seasons in the Northwest Territories, hauled logs in New Zealand. I've been all over Canada and the U.S. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if that counts for anything. You tell me. 
You know what's funny too? Craig Fuller says Freydex has developed its own subculture momentum that is now being accused of being an operation by the deep state, which is sort of funny because if Polly did a little more than like two seconds of research and you can tell what she was doing, right? She was doing quick Googles and she was taking a bunch of stuff out of context and putting red circles around it. But if she actually looked at some of your writing and read it and she looked at a lot of what people said, she would realize that most of us are kind of anti-deep state. We're sort of, uh, we, we have our own conspiracy theories, right? We're not like some operative for the government over here. We're more of a community of relatively like-minded people. And the funny thing is, for someone like her who is hung up on whether or not this is a PSYOP or deep state operations, the whole point of why I was on Tucker Carlson's show is because I've been doing investigative journalism into a bunch of people in Canada who've been railroaded by the deep state and are in jail unjustly because of the actions of the same people she's claiming me to be part of. Like, none of this makes any sense. You know what I think? Here's my theory. She's like the real psyop here because what she's done is taken the conversation away from the very important content of the speech that you were having with Tucker and instead misdirected that to if you're real. So, Polly, he's real. You're going to bed. We're getting back on topic. We're getting back on point here. First of all, congratulations. Whether you like Tucker or not, it is a massive opportunity to go on his show. He has a big program. He reaches a lot of people. And you were on episode 68 of his show it dropped on January 24th, just two days ago. How did this opportunity come together for you? So as you know, I, I write at a bunch of different places, and uh, Newsweek published some of my articles investigating the situation with the Coots 4 guys in Alberta. Uh, Tucker became made aware of that. Uh, his producers reached out to me, um, kind of asking for intel and information about that situation because he was already going to Alberta to give a couple of speeches. And after he read all of my stuff, they just invited me to come on the show. And so I drove out to Maine in the middle of that crazy snowstorm last week. It took me like 11 hours to get there instead of eight. Oof. And um, I got to go to his cabin in Maine and f film in person. It was a really great experience. And he's such a nice and friendly guy. Very welcoming, very funny. Uh, he's got like a little bit of an aura around him. And like he's basically exactly like he is in real life as he is on his TV show. Is, is he, is he tall? Does he smell good? Did, did he have a, did he have a Zin going on? I know he's been a proponent of Zin, which now Polly also says that's a conspiracy. She's, she's now she's going after Zin. <laughs> oh man. I uh, full disclosure. I've only ever had Zin once and it was at F3 in Chattanooga yeah. with you guys. So, um, uh, Hats off to Michael Lombard for Zin pilling me. And, uh, I think, I, I think once was enough. That, that was plenty. Yeah, yeah, well, we don't want to be a bad influence on you. I only mention it to people who smoke. Like, if they smoke or they vape, that's a good alternative. I don't think you should, if you don't do any of that stuff, I don't necessarily think you should start with this or go. That's definitely not what we're advocating here. But on Tucker, you had a very important talk. Now, I back in 2022, I remember covering the Canadian protests, and I actually lost some, well, I got attacked by some followers and everything. They thought I was too sympathetic with the trucker cause. But you have to remember, this was a point in America, a point in Canada, coming into 2022 after we had deal, dealt with covid lockdowns, vaccine mandates. Uh, they were trying to put more masks on us moving into 2022. And I think a lot of people in the populace were sick of it. There's a lot of trucking protests that try to happen. A lot get co-opted by political movements. But I think what really struck a chord with the uh, convoy, the Freedom Convoy up in Canada, was it happened at a moment that hit people. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And like when I went to Ottawa and took part in the convoy, at least that first weekend when I went home, 
it became apparent right away that it wasn't even about the truckers anymore. There was like so much going on in society um, un- underneath the COVID regime, especially as constituted under Justin Trudeau in Canada, and people had had enough of it. And yeah, you're right. Like people always talk about, you know, potential trucker strikes and nothing ever comes of it. And then the Freedom Convoy comes to town and they sort of like took the whole country and the world by storm. And oddly enough, like it was about the mandates. It wasn't even anything specific to the trucking industry, which ironically enough, got them criticized by union leaders and various labor people in Canada because they weren't asking for a raise or more money or to deal with detention time. It was just like open society back up for everybody. The protest was about and for everyone, which is like why it was so widely popular. Yeah, no, it it really took off. It really hit a nerve with um, some people. And I remember the news at the time. Now, in America, a lot of people have this perception of candidate. Whenever a vote happens, right, in an election, whatever side it is that feels like they're going to fail, they're like, if my candidate loses, I'm moving to Canada. Like, it's some, like, bastion of, like, freedom <laughs> and democracy. But if you remember during, I remember during 2022 following this on, from as a journalist, and, and I look at, like, the Canadian media and what they would say about the protest. But I would also look at all the video from the, uh, like, boogie on the scene and stuff like that all these citizen journalists that were down there with the convoy and what was happening and it was two very very different stories that both sides were telling now i realize one side is sympathetic with one idea the other's the other but there's definitely a there's definitely a stronghold that it seems the canadian media has is that fair well it is because most of it's subsidized to the hilt by the prime minister um ever since 2019 there's been ongoing taxpayer subsidies to all Canadian media, not just the CBC, like they get one point something billion a year regardless. And they're essentially state media, but all the big private guys like CTV and global and all the rest of them, they're the, the original subsidy in 2019 was for $595 million. And there's been several top ups under several different programs. And in total, there's been something like over $700 billion handed out to them. So It's not like they're going to exactly tell the truth or try and annoy the government lest their subsidies be cut off. Mm. And there was a big breakthrough, right, in this case this week. There's a ruling that came down from, uh, well, tell us about it. It, it, Does it exonerate these these Canadian protesters? What what was happening on the the legal side? So a, a, a case was brought to Canadian federal courts, not the Supreme Court, but the next one down. And uh, a number of individuals and civil liberties organizations brought a suit against the government um, claiming that Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act interfered with their rights guaranteed under Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is sort of an akin to the Constitution, kind of. And that judge ruled that, in in fact, uh, their charter rights were abridged and ruled the whole thing illegal I think he said it was like unreasonable and unnecessary. Like basically this judge threw the book at Trudeau. And of course he went to appeal it because um, Trudeau is not the kind of guy to like just admit it and take the L. Um, They have to, they're going to keep, they're going to appeal this and keep dragging it on like they're doing. There's a whole number of truckers who were at the protest who are still facing intimidation and mischief and a bunch of other charges. And it's like two years later and their court cases are still ongoing. Because I guess, you know, when the government's got oodles and oodles of money, they can just waste it on frivolous court cases to try and make a point rather than admit they were wrong. 
So what has happened to these, uh, as you call them, political prisoners? Have they have they been locked up since since the uh, what January, February of 2022, going on almost two years now? Yeah, these four gentlemen uh, referred to as the Coots Four, uh, three of them were arrested on the night of February 13th. Uh, the other fellow was arrested the next morning, and they've been kept in what's called remand, uh, denied bail, and haven't seen their trial yet. And once you investigate the details of what's gone on here and then place it in the context of all the politics around the Emergency Measures Act and how Trudeau treated everybody, it becomes apparent very quickly that they are, in fact, political prisoners. And the judge who denied them bail donated to the Liberal Party like 26 times. 76% of the judges in Canada are all members of the same party. So, like... Something stinks about this. Everybody in Canada gets bail. Accused murderers, rapists, people who like like a guy who drove his truck into a freedom convoy protest in Winnipeg and sent four people to hospital immediately granted bail. All these like hard criminals get bail, but not these four guys who don't even have any criminal records and just happen to be picked up at a protest where the government concocted a fantasy to get everybody to hate them. Jeez, what like what? So where are they now? Now that this ruling, have they been have they been released? Or are they still locked up? No, 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 because the a lot of people are thinking that this uh, this ruling is going to solve all of these problems, but it actually isn't because a lot of the charges actually come from the criminal code, and it doesn't really matter that the Emergencies Act was invoked. Like the charges still stand, and they can still pursue it. It will make those cases on the part of the government less strong, but it doesn't mean they're going to be dismissed. Interesting. You know, I think the big misstep here that I think the media may, and the media loves to call everything sort of far right. And they, they love to call us like a far right protest and, and say, there's all these issues involved with it. But my counterpoint to that is this does not get that popular. If you don't hit the middle, there's been a billion like fringe trucker things that like end up being, you know, Trump or a political candidates rally and those don't go nowhere. But when it hits the when it hits the national zeitgeist or it hits two nations zeitgeist, Canada and the U.S., there's a lot more to it here. What like what is the vibe in Canada when they cover this? Is there any coverage at all? Or are they are they totally like slammed and, and demonized? Well, it depends, like, right, because there's there's different media ecosystems, right? The mainstream media are repeating the same thing they've been repeating since the Freedom Convoy. And as I mentioned, they're subsidized and they're not going to bite the hands that feeds it. But everyone I talk to back home, regular people, support the convoy. And again, because it wasn't because they were truckers or they had any particular political position. It was a matter of people were sick and tired of the COVID regime and having Canada and Canadian society sort of cleaved in two, right? So you talk to the average person and they get it. You talk to a media class person and, you know, they are willing to uh, believe the worst about it because they have to have an enemy because that's just the way our media zeitgeist has like got into everyone's heads. What can what can we learn from this? Like, what can we learn from from looking at what Canada is doing? Are they are they sort of a reflection of a future where the, where the U.S. could go? is getting very near to? I'm not sure, but like, you know, don't be afraid to stand up and say the right thing and, you know, speak from the heart. You know, yeah, you might get attacked in the media. You might get attacked by the government like all these guys have. But at the end of the day, 
you know, you have to speak truth to power, regardless if the people who determine what truth is are doing the work of power rather than truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Very a little a little cowbell for that. Uh, definitely. Now, you cover a lot of driver issues and you've talked a lot about autonomy. Do uh, you have a, a sub stack about it? What driver issues do you think are going to populate the mind sphere of drivers in 24? Obviously, the autonomous technology uh, advancement of that stuff is going to be front and center. And I think uh, we're starting to see a change with the retention issue. Um, and kudos to your man, Craig Fuller, for his efforts in advancing that. And uh, Rachel Premack, shout out Rachel Premack. Her uh, last two last two modes newsletters have been fantastic. So I think we're going to see some movement on retention. And yes, as, as this technology rolls out in the next year, we're going to see a lot of discussion about autonomous trucks, their effects on labor, uh, safety considerations for the road. We're going to probably see a lot of political fights about that. How do you feel about the tech in trucks? We covered the Volvo VNL the other day. That's not an, an EV, but it has a 24-volt system. Um, it's got a lot of safety features on it, and it's uh, future-proof to go autonomous in the future. Is there too much tech inside trucks for the daily driver? Well, there's too much for me. The, 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 the number one safety feature of any vehicle, be it a car, or truck, or otherwise, is the driver. And if the driver is well-trained and the driver is acting in a professional capacity. All the technology in the world can't help you if you put drooling morons behind the wheel. And we have a CDL mill complex, which does just that. Yeah, well, I mean, the driver shortage gets talked about so much. In your opinion, is there a driver shortage? No. End of story. There is none. It's fake. Totally fake. That's the PSYOP. The PSYOP is the driver shortage narrative. (laughs) <laughs> that's what yes, we need <laughs> that's what we need to send Polly yeah. after <laughs> yeah Polly ne- Polly needs some priorities never mind a cracker <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt so where do you see this all going do you see th- this encroachment of tech pushing more drivers out of the cab and will the tech make up for it or is there this existential dread with autonomous like we saw cruise right one accident or two you're off the road one of these semi trucks they get into an accident so much thought is being put into this industry but like it's fragile it is and this technology is emergent and as with all new technologies there's going to be a lot of bugs to work out of it there's going to be a lot of political considerations and there's going to be a lot of pushback from i don't want to say maybe the market but yeah a lot of us don't like using it you know and a, a lot of people um are, are finding out that the bugs aren't worth it and that we would rather just have more of our own autonomy and like if you just train people better you would you would find that a lot of this expensive imposition onto us as drivers is unnecessary. Gore, let's, let's send some people over to your sub stack. Thank you for your time today. First of all, what are they going to read if they go there now? And what are you working on now? What am I working on now? Um, I've received a, uh, I'm working with the think tank in DC to write a series of essays on all of these questions, uh, driver retention, autonomous vehicles and other issues facing the trucking business. Um, uh, if you go to my Substack, you'll see I've been really pushing this Coots 4 story and, um, you know, just trying to tackle um, so many of these issues going on back home at Canada. But yeah, autonomoustruckers.substack.com. You can also find uh, my podcast, Voice of Gord, 
on all your major podcasting platforms in addition to my Substack. Now, if I'm a world traveling trucker, in your experience, since you've done both, where's a better place? Is it better to drive the road trains in Australia or is it better to do the logs over in Canada? Oh, man, those are two of the best. Anyway, I love driving road trains in Australia. It's like there's nobody around. You have lots of room and like deserts are based. There's nobody there. It's fantastic. What happens if you break down in the middle of a desert, like when you're in those road trains? You fix it yourself. <laughs> you ever see and anything the- out there? They say everything in Australia can kill you. You ever see like any like Tasmanian devils or anything uh, come after you? Uh, the two-legged creatures which populate the city of Canberra are far more uh, dangerous to your health than any of the other creatures you might find down there. Gord, I love it. I love it, man. Where can where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they find out your real and uh, get more information on the other side of issues that people don't always take? Um, like I say, uh, autonomoustruckers.substack.com. Uh, punch my name into your favorite search engine. Uh, I contribute occasionally to Newsweek, uh, Compact Magazine, The American Conservative, um, uh, American Compass, which is a, th- a labor think tank. I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. So, yeah, just... Search for my name, M A G I L L. Are you are you back on our Twitter now, or should we keep? Should we maybe should keep that low. Oh, uh, we'll see how long it lasts this time, eh? <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that a little. We won't promote that too much until you've got uh, you've got a few miles on your feet. You've got a few tweets out there. I don't want to get you shut down too quick. Gord, hey, I love you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for repping the shirt, and um, thanks for repping the opinions that some people have out here. Good times. Have an awesome weekend, all of you out there. Thank you for joining us on episode six seventy four of What the Truck. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D O N E R. Find this show on social media at FW What the Truck. You can find all of these episodes on demand on Freightways YouTube channels and entire playlist, or you can look it up wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple, Rip Stitcher. Not there. Take care. Don't be a stranger.